destroy the Jews who are to be the people of God. They're to be the embodiment of this other way of being a human society. They are carried off into a uh, foreign empire as exiles, as captives. And immediately they begin to console themselves by saying, well, this is only a temporary situation. It won't last long, a few months, and, you know, we'll be, we'll be back at it. And the prophet Jeremiah says, oh, no, 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 no. This is going to be like 70 years. This is going to be several generations. So you got to, you know, build houses and get married and have kids and go on with life. Uh, seek the welfare of Babylon because in its welfare, you'll have your own welfare. And so they did, but they got a little too good at it. And they, got, they were reaching the point where they were in danger of losing their Jewish identity as the people of God and just morphing into little Babylonians. And so that's why you get the books of Ezekiel and Daniel calling for them to live in this tension of being a part of the empire but being apart from the empire. And that is tricky, and it's, it's not easy. we, we got to learn how to be exiles on Main Street, how to, how to live as exiles, and yet we're still... You know, we're still responsibly engaged in human society. You know, we're going to be school teachers and we're going to be, you know, bakers and candlestick makers and whatever else we're going to be, but still apart from the empire. Exiles on Main Street. We're starting a new series uh, this Sunday. Uh, we're learning some lessons from those that were in exile in Babylon and Persia. Back at the beginning of the year, we spent uh, a number of weeks working our way through First and Second Chronicles. And uh, I feel like this series, I looked for a quick video of like previously on the people of God. Um, maybe one of those trailers that you see before you uh, watch the next season of Game of Thrones or whatever series you watch, um, unless you're binge-watching something on Netflix and then you just kind of skip over those previously on things because you watched it five minutes ago. Um, so we kind of need to be reminded of where we're at. Chronicles is the story of the, the people of Judah and their um, relationship with being faithful. And we see stories of times where they show great faith in God, they're, they're worshiping and they're, they're seeking God, and a lot of other times where they're just completely turning their back on God. We found that it was hard enough for them to be faithful when the kingdom is supposed to be set up to promote the worship of God. The children of Israel come into the promised land, they establish this kingdom under Saul, but then really under David and Solomon is kind of when the kingdom takes off. They build the temple, and all of this is supposed to help them worship God. These are the people that have experienced the exodus from Egypt, and they've been brought into the promised land, and the king is blessed by God, and the temple, God's presence is right there in their midst, and yet these people are struggling to remain faithful. And at the end of Chronicles, after the people and kings have failed to remain faithful, the people of God are taken into captivity. And this is where we come to uh, this text uh, that uh, Roy read from, for us uh, from Daniel. 
As we take a deeper look at this, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us this morning through me or despite me, always through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a little bit of the background of the exile. The nation of Israel begins as a united people group. They've 12 tribes leave Egypt, wander through the wilderness, eventually find their way into the promised land. And for a while, they're kind of subjugated by Philistines and Canaanites and others, and and they're battling for their existence. They're under the, the guidance of different judges. And then they elect, or well, they choose to have a king. They desire this king, and God warns them, you know, this isn't going to turn out exactly how you want. They say, no, we want to be like the other kingdoms. We want to be like everyone else and have a king. And God says, okay, you can have your king. And it doesn't turn out the way they want it to. But this, for a while, this kingdom is united. But following Solomon, the kingdom gets split. It happens with a lot of different empires throughout history where two rivals end up fighting over the kingdom. And then people of God, the nation of Israel, gets split between the northern kingdom, which we call Israel, and the southern kingdom, which we call Judah. Israel experiences all kinds of evil kings, people just having no regard for God. Uh, we read many of those stories in First and Second Kings. But because of their unfaithfulness, they go into exile around 722 B.C. They're because of their wickedness. Judah lasts a little bit longer. Uh, they have a number of kings that try to bring back and establish proper worship. And we looked at uh, Jehoshaphat and, and some others uh, that tried to bring back worship, Josiah and a number of others. <coughs> but around 597 uh, B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar comes, he conquers Judah, and he carries the king, and he carries some of the the nobles and the elites of Judah into captivity. He tries to, uh, what Babylon did when they conquered a place is they would take the kings, they would take the the royalty, they would take the educated, and they would kind of send them off to different parts of the empire, and they would re-educate them and uh, try and break down their own... um, beliefs and their own um, culture and kind of assimilate them into this larger Babylonian culture. Suddenly, the people of God find themselves separated from the promised land, separated from the, the royal city of Jerusalem, separated from the holy temple, from God's presence among them. They live as strangers and aliens in a land that is not their own, among a a culture that is not their own, among all kinds of different religions that are not their own. Babylon is not set up to be a Jewish empire. And at the beginning, Nebuchadnezzar could really care less who Yahweh is, who God is. Now, we read the story on, he starts to pay a little bit more attention uh, to who God is. But at the beginning, he doesn't care. And so what we see here in the beginning of Daniel is how the empire of Babylon is trying to assimilate the Jewish people. Uh, We read that they were to be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. They're supposed to eat the food and, uh, it says drink the wine, but 
I think more common to us, we would say, they're told to drink the Kool-Aid of empire. They're, try, they're trying to break them down, trying to, to change who they are, lose their Jewish identity, and serve the empire. This is what Babylon has done to other conquered people, uh, so it should work again with these Jews. Am I ringing a little bit? Right away, we see the theme of how Daniel kind of plays out. Daniel decides to remain firm, to, to push back against Babylon, trying to assimilate him and, and re-educate him. It said Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel says, look, instead of the king's food, uh, which probably broke a number of Jewish purity laws, he said, can I just do vegetables and water? Understandably, the, the palace master really doesn't want to risk his own neck to meet some demands from some conquered people group. Daniel says, 10 days. What could 10 days hurt? And we think about it, you know, what 10 days of vegetables and, and water versus what meat and wine or whatever, would 10 days really make a difference? But God seems to honor Daniel's faithfulness. And there is a visible difference. And I love the NRSV that, that Roy read. It said they were fatter. And, they, and, and I was like, oh, man, I like this culture. We just, we're always so concerned about uh, some of those body images. But here they eat their vegetables and they gain a little weight. And that's a good thing for them. So yay, yay, they had that going for them, the Babylonians. God blesses their faithfulness. It's interesting to me that here in exile is where we begin to see these pictures of faithfulness. When, when everything is set up, when, when the kingdom is theirs, the temple is theirs, they're, they're in Jerusalem, they're in the promised land, their faithfulness is kind of all over the place. But here in exile, we have a number of faithful people saying, no, I'm staying true to God, I'm staying true to my beliefs, I'm staying true to my faith, and we're going to see over this series how that plays out for the people of God. Daniel ends up as a counselor to the king of the Babylonians, to the Medes, and to the Persian Empire. We're going to look at a number of other Jewish people who had high-ranking positions, even in exile. There's Queen Esther. There's Nehemiah, who is a, a cupbearer for the king. And a cupbearer doesn't just mean he, you know, is the person that, like the server that brought the food. But they were somebody that really guarded the protection of the king. They tasted the wine. They made sure that his food wasn't getting poisoned by some rival trying to come in and get rid of the king. He had a trusted position. He had a, a position of authority, even in exile. So let me tell you a little bit different story. This is the story of the Christian Empire. Around 312 AD, Christianity claims the throne of Rome. There's this general named Constantine. And, and the night before a big battle to decide who are gonna be the, who's going to be the next emperor of Rome, he supposedly sees this vision that says, in the symbol, in the sign of Jesus, conquer. And so he paints the symbol of Jesus on his shields, and he goes out and he wins the battle. And he declares that he is a Christian emperor. And Christianity, 
for 300 years had kind of been in the margins of society. They were illegal. They were often persecuted for their beliefs. But now there's a Christian who's the emperor. Two emperors later, and Christianity moves from being an illegal religion to being the only legal religion. It's the only game in town. And if you're anything but Christian, you are given the, the option of being baptized or being killed, which isn't much of an option. Later, we get the Holy Roman Empire. The church and the, the state basically become one. And the Pope blesses the kings. The kings give loyalty, money, and military strength to the Pope. That goes on for a long time. In 1517, the Protestant Reformation begins, and people like Martin Luther and John Calvin start asking some really hard questions of the established church. But one thing they don't really question is the state and, and the church working hand in glove. And sometimes you're not sure if this is a decision of the, the church or a decision of the state. Are these people being executed by the Pope or are they being executed by the king? And sometimes you're not sure who's killing who. And we get instances of Catholics killing Calvinists and Calvinists killing Lutherans and Lutherans killing Catholics and everybody's just going around Europe killing one another based on what they say on Sunday morning and, and uh, who their king or their uh, governor is at the time. There's a number of small groups that start to question the way the empire is seeing things. And people like the Moravians and Swiss Anabaptists and others start wondering if the church really should be carrying around the sword and running government and killing those who don't convert to their version of religion. They didn't see this as a very Christ-like thing to do. These groups often discovered that the empire, whether it's Christian or not Christian, doesn't like to have people asking too many questions. The Christian empire lasts for a long time, and it makes a good run of things. It begins to crack under the Enlightenment when people start to value uh, scientific proof and reasoning and they start to put the story of Scripture on the sidelines. Some other uh, monumental uh, moments in the, the downfall of the Christian Empire come in 1925 with the Scopes Monkey Trial where... Um, one, the school board was trying to teach evolution and there was this legal battle between creation and, and evolution and the creationists won the legal battle but kind of lost the popular battle. Figure in a century of bloody world wars and many people in Western culture start to have questions about God, God's existence, God's involvement. And so our society has changed drastically from what was once uh, a very Christian society with a, a basic understanding of who God was, who Jesus was. Sociologists now use terms like postmodern to say that truth is uncertain at best and completely relative at worst. Everyone gets to decide what's true and right for themselves. We use words like post-Christian to acknowledge that our society doesn't have a basic understanding of who God is, of what the Ten Commandments are, of 
you know, the basic story of the gospel. There's a realization that we no longer live in the empire of Christianity. Instead, we live in a pluralistic society with very different values. And this is why I think learning from Scripture, learning from these stories of exiles is so important because it has a lot of echoes in our society today, living in a place that is very different, living in a place that is very pluralized and, and a mix of all kinds of different uh, cultures and religions. And, you know, there's some beauty in that, but, but there's also a danger that we start to lose our understanding, our identity in the story of Jesus. So what can we learn from the exiles of the Bible? In the opening video uh, that uh, Brian did, he talks about living as exiles on Main Street. And I, and I really like that idea. He talks about living in the tension of seeking the good for our neighbor and our community and, and those around us, of responsibly engaging culture and society and government when and how we can. Daniel and his friends, they serve in the king's court. It's not like they openly decide to rebel against Babylon. They serve the king. They, they seek the best for the king. They're protecting the king. They're offering the king wisdom. They're, they're interpreting dreams for the kings. They're seeking the best for those around them. But they're doing it in ways that are peculiar, that are different, that are faithful. Even Jesus doesn't advocate for armed rebellion against the Roman Empire. In fact, when Pilate asks him, are you a king? And Jesus says, look, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this sort. If it were, my followers would rise up and they would, they would fight you and, and they'd try and overthrow you. But that's not the kind of kingdom I have. My kingdom is from a different place. It has a different kind of authority. And so there's a tension throughout the story of Daniel, the story of Esther and, and the letter and prophecy of Jeremiah about engaging, about seeking the best for those around you, about serving those around you, serving your community, but doing so in ways that are faithful to God, faithful to who Jesus is calling his church to be. And so how do we practice this? What are some practical ways that we can engage but also remain peculiar, different? Let's watch a little bit more of Brian talking about this. How do we nurture and what are practices to nurture our awareness? Well, you know, I just have to try to channel Walter Brueggemann here and you need a, you need a counter script because we, it's true. I mean, we grow, we grow up scripted and we have no idea we've been scripted. And all of the liturgies of advertising and liturgies of empire, I mean, we don't even... And, and so that's why we need church and Lord's Prayer and Psalms and liturgy and maybe a sermon now and then. We need some things that can activate 
an alternative imagination that, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe, maybe the kingdom of Christ really is possible. Maybe in some subtle way it can creep into our real world. Maybe there is some way to live out, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In a simple little way, but let's, we, we have to keep those influences. Because if you lose those influences, then, then there's nothing else to form you but the empire. And, and this, see, this is why the empire never likes poets very much. Because poets are unwieldy. They can just think. And, and the empire wants to conscript everything to its own agenda. And poets are the ones that are the best at offering us an alternative imagination. That's why it's helpful for us to understand that the Hebrew prophets were not primarily preachers as we think of it. They, they weren't activists as we think of it. They were poets. And they simply imagined, wait a minute, you know, things could be other. So, you know, what would it be like if the lion laid down with the lamb? What if the powerful were not exploiting the weak? I mean, what would that look like? And so, but then when the day's done, they say, but it's just a poem anyway. And yet, maybe it's a poem that God breathed on. Maybe we recognize that it's so breathed on that we say, let's... Let's like canonize it. Let's put it, let's make it scripture. Let's recognize that God so breathed on this that if we breathe some of that same air, some of that same air of scripture, maybe we can get intoxicated enough, we can get high enough that we can start seeing some other visions of how life could be. He's using some pastoral speak there when he talks about being scripted or re-educated by uh, the culture, by the empire, and he talks about the liturgy of advertising. And let me do something here real quick to let you know what the liturgy of advertising is. And you go, okay, now I know what he's talking about. You finish this. Ba-da-ba-ba-bum. What? I'm loving it. And what is it from? McDonald's. All right. How about we are farmers? All right. Subway. There you go. Free advertisement, Steve. Uh, go a little bit older. How many of you could sing the Oscar Mayer Wiener song? All right. Some of you could sing the, I won't ask you to do it right now. Uh, those things come to mind so fast. They're ingrained in us. We, we hear them. We see them over and over again. He says we need a counter script. We need prayers, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that are ingrained in us, that are a part of us. We need to, to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For those things to be the things that, that come to our mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Are those the things that come to our minds? See, Daniel and the other exiles that we'll be learning about, we're working off a different script. They're imagining another way of living. 
In the New Testament, the church is talked about in terms of living as strangers and aliens and exiles. And so as we learn from those exiles in this series, I want us to see the way that they are engaging the world around them. It's not like they just go, well, that's Babylon, and I want nothing to do with them, and we're just going to move into our own little closed community, and we're not going to have anything to do with them. That's not what they do. But they also don't say, well, you know what, we're just going to blend in with everyone else. They choose this other way of being faithful, of speaking truth to the kings, to the emperors, to those around them. They find ways of remaining faithful. They live as strangers and aliens in a land not their own. May we do the same. As we close our, uh, get towards the end of our time of worship this morning, I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. What we're talking about is building the kingdom of God, not whatever empire we're a part of, not Western society, we're not a part of Babylon, we're not a part of Rome, even as good as it is to live in America this isn't the empire we're trying to build either. We're about building the kingdom of God. Let's rise and sing about that.